Uh, I am honored to be here this morning. Um, honored to bring God's word to you. Um, and I'm doubly honored to have my mom here. She, uh, this is her first time in church in five over five months. Uh, and uh, thanks. She's been battling some significant illness, and so I'm, I'm honored to have you here, Mom, and I'm doubly grateful because uh, my mom has modeled and reflected the character of God beautifully and humbly, literally for every single day of my life, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, I'm also grateful this morning to have the mother of my children here. Uh, and I'm more convinced today than the day we were married that that's part of God's plan and uh, that she was the right partner, not just for me, but to mother our children. So I love you, honey. Thank you. Um, most of you probably won't have the chance to express love for your mom or the significant women in your life publicly, but I hope you will take that opportunity at some point today if you haven't already. And some encouraging words can go a long way in encouraging our mothers. Um, of course, do that in your own way, but, but please do it. Um, I also want to acknowledge this morning that, that some of you may not have a mom or a marriage or children that make Mother's Day especially happy or a celebratory event, and that's okay too. God is with us in our hurt and our pain. His goodness is not diminished by the challenges and the relational struggles that we have in life. All right. And then there's quite a few of you here this morning that maybe aren't married and have never had children. There's still quite a few young people here. And uh, don't worry, I hope the sermon today is still for you. All right? I hope you can understand that the, the heart of God better today and remember that the love and care that each of you show to the people around you will bring future great reward. Mother's Day should be a celebration, and it's okay to laugh and have a little bit of fun together, so uh, I put a couple cartoons up here on the screen to get us started. Uh, don't know if your mom had a Superman cape in the closet, but pretty sure mine did. Um, if you can't see the fire hydrant up there, I, I hope you've never had that happen to you. And, and of course, if anybody ever tried to replace mom for a day... I'm sure it would take a lot more than just that crew to replace the moms in our lives. Uh, I have a, a few quotes from some Mother's Day cards that were written by some other kids. Uh, here's one from Angie. She was eight years old, and she said, Mother, I'm going to make dinner for you on Mother's Day. It's going to be a surprise. P.S. I hope you like pizza and popcorn. <laughs> or, Robert said this, he said, I got a snake for you on Mother's Day. I hope you like the snake better than the turtle I got you last year. <laughs> that sounds a little bit like my kids bringing critters home. Uh, here's another one. Dear Mother, I wish Mother's Day wasn't always on Sunday. It would be better if it were on a Monday so we wouldn't have to go to school. <laughs> or, or here's one from Carolyn, last one. Dear Mother, here are two aspirins. Have a happy Mother's Day. Let's pray that your Mother's Day goes better than some of those anecdotes and, and for also that God would speak to us here this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can 
be together as your family. Thank you that you are in charge here, that all that we do is because of you. Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts uh, in that mysterious way of the Holy Spirit reaching inside and convicting us, challenging us, encouraging us. I pray that that work would happen here in our church this morning. Father, we love you, and uh, we also want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that, that aren't experiencing the kind of freedom that we have here. Father, I pray for, my, for some churches in Indonesia that uh, I heard just this morning were the, the victims of suicide bombers there. I pray that you would encourage the saints there, that you would show yourself merciful and mighty in the lives of your people that are spread across this globe. Father, we are grateful for who you are, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You can thank my oldest son and Ben Robbins for the, the pastel colors and the flowers. Uh, I, I, they were over at my house studying chemistry earlier this week, and so I took a two-person poll, and they quickly voted down my original ideas for what I was going to speak on today. Thank goodness, I think. And uh, they suggested this amazing passage of scripture. And I apologize, the bulletin says chapter three, that uh, was human error, this human, in my communication. It really is chapter two in Thessalonians. Uh, I'm gonna put the verses up on the screen in a moment, but uh, I've said it in some past sermons. If if you wanna just read through the book of Thessalonians this morning while I'm preaching, you go for it. Some of... uh, I found some of the most interesting and practical things versus before and after where preachers have been preaching. So so feel free to explore. You have my permission to do that. Um, We're going to read it, dissect it a little bit, and then see how to apply it in the light of the gospel. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 19 through 20. I want to go ahead and read it out loud together. All of us will use the one on the screen so that uh, we're reading the same thing, and let's start with the reference. So it's 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul's talking in this verse to the the people at a church in Thessalonica. That town is still there in Greece today. And uh, he had been there previously and and played a significant part with a few other men in bringing them to the Lord. Uh, If you read the rest of 1 Thessalonians, Paul clearly loves and cares about the people in this church. And that's who he's calling the you in this verse. And uh, if I can just sum it up right from the beginning for you, what Paul's essentially saying is that we don't get to take anything from earth any of our earthly experiences with us to heaven except our spiritual children. That's it. Except the people that we've had a part in helping to get to heaven. Stephen Curtis Chapman is one of my favorite singer-songwriters, and and he said this about these verses. He said, Imagine us getting to present our children to God as our joy and our crown in his presence. That's all we can bring with us but what a treasure to bring to him. Mothers, that treasure hopefully includes the children born or adopted into your home. But these verses apply to all of us. It's to the dads. It's to those of you that have never been married or the children or the young people that we were talking about earlier. 
It applies even to you because it's talking about spiritual children. It's talking about a future day of rejoicing, about a hope and a joy that we can have now because of the people that we have shared the gospel with, people that we have invested in, people that we have discipled. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? You, indeed, you are our glory and joy. Just let that settle in for a minute. We're going to spend, I'm going to spend a significant time this morning going back and reviewing what uh, Kyle has been talking to us about the last few months to make sure we really understand what the gospel means and how it connects to our passage today. But let that settle in for you as we talk. Kyle started a sermon a few months back called, What is the Gospel? Webster's Dictionary defines it as this. It's the message concerning Christ, the kingdom of heaven, and salvation. Some of you literalists out there, Norm Norm might be downstairs, you might have just said the gospel is the good news. That's what it literally means. And uh, Webster also says that when you capitalize it, it's one of the first first four books of the New Testament that tells the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we all know about those, the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, it, it is. It's the story of God. It's the story of us humans. It's the story of Jesus and what he did, and, this, and the story of our response to that, all that's written there. But it is more. The gospel ultimately encompasses the entire Bible. It encompasses the whole story. It tells of God's plan for humans to live in harmony with him. And those events stretch all the way back before creation, and they stretch into the future and uh, to that final restoration with God. And of course, the center point is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's a really long story that's written about in God's word. But the gospel is way more than just a story. So I want to pause and tell you a story to help you understand that the gospel is more than just a story. All right? So my oldest son, Jeb, got an assignment from uh, one of his classes at Whatcom Community College to to write a paper about PTSD. So I rented a movie called American Sniper, and this is not a recommendation of that movie, but uh, it's about a a highly successful, if you've you've read the book or seen the the movie, he is highly successful, a highly successful Navy SEAL. And uh, the, the story, it's a true story, and a key element in that story is that The main character, his name is Chris Kyle, a.k.a. the legend, was seen as a hero by the other soldiers, by the Marines in Iraq. And they saw him as a hero because he would provide overwatch protection for them. He would position himself overlooking the battlefield, and he would take care of enemy soldiers. Soldiers that sometimes the Marines down in the streets going house to house didn't even know were there or didn't even know were about to attack them. And it was a great story, and it's a story that happened several years ago. But can you imagine, as Jeb and I are watching the movie, if Chris Kyle steps off the screen and says, hey, Jim, hey, Jeb, I'm here to be your personal bodyguard and protect you. That would be a little strange, wouldn't it? (laughs) But that's what the gospel is. Too often we read it and we think about it as a 2,000-year-old story that happened way out there. 
And we forget that the main character of the story, Jesus, is right here with us today. He's here. It's not just a story or a news broadcast that tells about the past. We call it the good news, and we think news is something that's happened. But it isn't announcing old news. It's announcing live, up-to-the-date news, because the one that the story is about is right here. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's right here. I'm reminded of another movie about Navy SEALs. This one was a little bit cheesy from the 1980s, but it's, it has one of my favorite all-time scenes in it. And forgive me, ladies, for my illustrations today, but I've got to keep the men interested in spite of the flowers as well. So uh, in this movie, a SEAL team was dropped behind enemy lines. And while they're navigating an old half-bombed-out building, one of them falls through a rickety wooden staircase, and he catches himself on his arms. So he's dangling for dear life. He's lost his weapon. And another enemy soldier comes up to him and starts to mock him as this Navy SEAL says, God, I need your help. Come in, God. Please help. And the enemy soldier turns to him and says, your God cannot help you now. And just at that moment, the sniper, whose code name was God, took care of that, so that enemy and saved his buddy. God Please help me. That's the deal. God is real. He's right here with us. He's always with us, and he can do more than simply protect us. God can actually turn an enemy into one of his children, into a brother and sister. God is powerful, and he is active. He's here with us this morning. I hope that he's talking to your heart. I hope that he's working in your thoughts and what's going on with you, and he will continue to be active every day the rest of our lives. The gospel. Uh, I gotta be candid, I'm uh, a little bit slow sometimes, don't ask my wife and children, but uh, it, it took me a little while to kind of figure out why Kyle was spending so much time preaching and teaching about the gospel. Why is he spending so much time on this? And it wasn't until I read two of my favorite quotes. They're both by a guy named C.S. Lewis. And it, it really connected it for me. Right? It helped me really see what's, what's going on. And I hope maybe it will resonate with you as well. So here's the first quote from C.S. Lewis. And, and he used the word Christianity. I think we can substitute the word the gospel for that. He said, I believe in the gospel as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Here's the next quote, from, again, from C.S. Lewis. Christianity, or the gospel, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Uh, I confess this morning that I've, I've done the thing that cannot be done. I've made the gospel moderately important in my life. But really in doing that, it's the same as making it of no importance. But the gospel is true. And it must be the most important thing in our individual lives and in the life of this church. The gospel. Humans, that's us, we're always tempted to make it about ourselves, unfortunately. And uh, it's kind of hard not to because Kyle's, Next sermon was uh, 
about God's love. And in that sermon, he talked about the fact that God chooses to use us as part of his plan. He actually works in us. We're an active part of this. It's not something out there. We're a part of it. Uh, uh, We aren't just observers watching it. But again, unfortunately, we often try to make it all about us. So uh, I've told this story to the teenagers before, but my my brother-in-law, when Melanie and I lived in California, moved down to L.A. to go to school, and he thought it would be interesting to make a little money on the side and go be an extra in a movie. And he called me up one day, and he said, Jim, Jim, you'll never believe it. I got a part in a Jim Carrey movie. And for those of you that didn't watch movies in the 1990s, at the time, Jim Carrey, not sure why, was one of the biggest movie stars on the planet. And uh, a few years after the movie came out, I rented the movie, and I had to rewind it multiple times trying to find my brother-in-law. He literally had about one second, and he was blurry walking behind the scene. (laughs) How foolish would it have been if he would have rented out an entire movie theater, invited all of his friends, and said, come on over and watch my movie, right? But that's exactly what we do with God, right? Life, the story of the world, is God's movie. He's the star. It's about him. And yes, by his love, we get to play a little tiny part in it. But we have to remember that it's all about God. It's about him and his great love for us. Next, Kyle talked about the exclusivity of the gospel. And that means just simply that there's no other way than the gospel. There are no add-ons to the gospel. Friends, you and I have to personally stay on the narrow road. And we have to make sure that our unbelieving friends find the narrow gate. The gospel is the only way. In God's timing, and if you were here, Kyle preached about the resurrection power of the gospel on Easter. That's the good news of the gospel. And yes, I know that's a double good news. The good news must include both a dying Savior and a risen living Lord. Kyle's final sermon in this series about what is the gospel was entitled Salvation. But really, it probably should have been called suffering. Being a disciple, being a true follower of Christ means we will suffer. Listen as I read 2 Timothy 1.8. It says this, But share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Another translation puts it this way. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the gospel. And still another says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. When was the last time you got up and said, I'm going to go join that suffering over there? But that's the gospel. We're going to talk a little bit more about this when we get back to 1 Thessalonians, but, but we need to remember that our salvation came with a price. And we are called to count the cost And it will be costly here on earth to follow Jesus. But the eternal rewards waiting for us will outweigh any of that suffering. Next, we spent four weeks learning about some fruits of the gospel. What does the gospel do? What impact does it have? And the first fruit is confidence. Hebrews 4, 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. 
That's the kind of confidence that overrides the shame or the guilt or the despair that so often keeps us from quickly turning to the Lord and quickly confessing our sins and resting once again in the joy that comes from a right relationship with God. Confidence. And then intimacy was next. The book of Hebrews makes a a pretty incredible comparison of how in the Old Testament only the high priest could enter into God's presence, and he could only do it once a year. But because of the gospel, we can do what it says here in verse 22 of Hebrews. It says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. James 4 says this, so humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. We need to remember again that this confidence, this intimacy that we can have is because of what God did, what he continues to do for us, the gospel. Then there's transformation. Again, here in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it says, So all of us, pardon me, let me start that again. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. If you haven't written down anything else today, I encourage you to write down that verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Church family, mothers, we need to take courage in this verse. We don't have to try harder. We don't have to muster up more willpower. Transformation in our lives comes by trusting in God and relying on his truth, relying on his spirit, the gospel, to transform you. And then last week, if you were here, Uh, We looked at an amazing fruit of the gospel called community. I want to quote the great orator, Kyle Decker, who once said, and I quote, when the gospel is central in our lives, we long for and discover unity with other believers in the local church, not because of any cultural commonality, but because of our common faith and Savior. It is within this covenant community, if the community is gospel-centered, that we experience the kind of fellowship that comforts the afflicted, corrects the wayward, strengthens the weak, and encourages the disheartened, unquote. That sounds a little bit like being a mother, don't you think? Comforting the afflicted? Correcting the wayward? Strengthening the weak, encouraging the disheartened. Yes, mothers, you reflect the very heart of God, the desire of God as you love your children. And all of us must strive for that kind of unity that spreads those attitudes and actions here in this church, but beyond it into our community as well. So back to 1 Thessalonians 2. Because all of that's a reminder for us here on Mother's Day. 
a reminder that we need because moms, if you're not careful, you can make being a mother about your children. And it's not. You might even make the, the focus of your mothering yourself. Focusing either on how great you are or more likely how terrible you think you are at being a mother. But this gospel that we've just talked about reminds us that it's all about God. And it's for God. He's the reason, the source, the all for everything we do, including being a mother. When we go back to this verse, Paul makes this amazing statement. I want to read it again. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Some of you might be puzzled or thinking out there, well, isn't Jesus himself supposed to be our hope and our joy? And the answer is, of course, absolutely yes. And yet somehow the triune relational God is going to let us have joy and relationship because of the people that we invest in. God that we worship is going to allow us someday in the future when he comes again to do that, to boast in the people that we've influenced here on earth. Mothers, I hope that makes the blood and sweat and tears and hard work and prayers that you have invested in your children so much more exciting. And church, has it sunk into the rest of us yet? When we invest in sharing and living out the gospel in other people's lives, we get this amazing future reward. And the reality is if we zoom out of those two verses just a little bit and look at the whole book of Thessalonians, it's 1 Thessalonians and 2nd, one of the main themes is all about that future day when Christ comes back. Right? And the fact that we have to endure some trials and tribulations until then. We have to wait patiently for it. And mothers of all people should relate to that idea. Right? Mothers, you have to endure nine months of pregnancy, of various forms of difficulty and suffering. And then it's culminated in hours and hours and sometimes hours of intense pain. And why do you go through all of it? For that future joy of holding that newborn baby in your arms. And then it's just starting. Then you strive and labor, strive, strive and labor. I'll get it out. In a, in a multitude of ways, for 18 years or more, right? Yes, of course, for the love of the child that's in front of you. But I submit that more often it's about the future hope that comes. Right? That future hope of watching a child become successful. Why do you spend so much time changing diapers? Not because you love diapers, but because you can't wait till they're potty trained. The future hope, right? Why do you spoon feed your children? I still to this day can't pretend to hold a spoon out without opening my mouth at the same time. You try it later, right? But why do we do that? Because we're waiting for our children to feed themselves, right? And there's multiple milestones along the way that hopefully leads to the ultimate joy of a successful, productive, independent child. Or maybe it's grandchildren. I don't know. The reality is, though, 
God doesn't have any grandchildren. You can think about that one later. But that motherly endurance and the effort that it takes as a mother is exactly the kind of attitude that we all need to have in our relationships with each other. If mothers can love their own children for 18 or 20 or 30 years in hopes of some eventual reward, how much more should we love and invest in the spiritual children that God gives us? You might say, well, wait, uh, I don't have any spiritual children. What's that about? Well, go back to the gospel that we were just talking about. Get the focus off yourself. Start living out the gospel in your life. Start sharing the gospel and see what God will do. John MacArthur is a pastor, and he summed it up this way. He used this verse in 2 Corinthians, and he said, quote, it wasn't just them, talking about the Thessalonians, it wasn't just them. To the Corinthians, Paul said, I'm going to boast about you in the day of the Lord. When I see the Lord Jesus, you're going to be my boast. You're going to be my joy. You're going to be the fulfillment of my hope. Oh, did he, Paul, understand ministry. And what he understood was, when you get to heaven, you're not going to get a crown for your own glorified head. Your crown is going to be the presence of the people that you were responsible for to lead to the knowledge of Christ, the people whom you planted the seed or watered or harvested, the the people whose lives were influenced by your teaching and your living and your praying, that's your eternal reward. It isn't something to stick on your head and parade around saying, I've got more of these than you. It isn't something like that. It's the accumulated impact of your life on the lives of others. That's why Jesus in Luke chapter 16 says, use your money to purchase friends for eternity. Spend your money as well as your time and effort to bring people to the knowledge of Christ so that you can know them forever as your friends and the source of your eternal joy. End quote. That's really it. That's our challenge this morning to look beyond just our mothers, and mothers to look beyond just your children and say, am I living out the gospel? Am I aware of my own sin? Am I regularly confessing my sin? Am I experiencing the joy that then comes from the Lord? Am I doing that in my marriage, in my home, in my relationships, in our church, in our community? Am I focused on helping other people understand this gospel that we're talking about? Am I living in such a way that I will have people to boast in and have joy in in presenting them to Jesus on that future glorious day? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing thought that we will stand before you someday and get the opportunity to boast in one another and to boast in those, find joy in those that we have influenced for you. 
Father, we'll do that perfectly without pride and perfect humility because we will see you face to face and recognize that it wasn't about us. It isn't today and it won't be tomorrow, Lord. It's about you. Father, help me to daily recognize that I need to live out the gospel, that I need to take it in, to understand it, to, to love the gospel. We get to a place where we can't help but share it with others. Thank you for our time here this morning. Thank you that we can celebrate mothers who are made in your image, Father. They reflect you. Thank you for what they teach us about you. Thank you. We pray for those mothers that don't know you, Lord. If there's anyone here today whose mother has never come to a saving knowledge of you, Father, I pray for them that you would give us opportunity to share the good news of who you are, of this, your living hope and story, your plan to bring mothers and every human being in your will into your family. Father, go with us as we visit family and friends and uh, celebrate mothers this afternoon. Would your word stick with us? Would it not just fade in one ear and out the other? Would we be more than just hearers of your word? Would we be doers of your word? We pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.